as we begin this morning, I want to share with you uh, a story of one of my, my greatest injustices, uh, unfair things that ever happened to me. When I was four years old, uh, I broke my leg. Uh, it, we were playing outside and playing in our, our driveway, and a girl on a bike who was mean and evil uh, came at me with her bicycle, um, and I decided late, you know, those quick four-year-old reflexes are awesome. Um, I wasn't sure, do I go right, do I go left? Um, I decided to go right. She also decided to go her right with her bicycle, um, which meant my leg went the other way than I was going, and it, it broke. Um, but I, I remember vividly going, falling on the ground, uh, crying, my dad doing what dads do. Hey, he's fine. Pick him up. Uh, make him stand on it. Um, yeah, for, for real. Um, and my mom's like, I don't know, it's probably broken. And so he's, you know, re- reluctantly, dad's like, I don't want to pay to go to the ER. He's fine. Um, but my mom's like, no, we need to go. So we go, and sure enough, it's broken. Now, that's not the injustice. The injustice is, is about a month later, was, I was supposed to be the ring bearer in my aunt and uncle's wedding. And sweet little Sean, beautiful, cute little Sean, um, was practicing every night in the hallway. I was doing my walk with a little pillow, you know, everything, getting ready. But because I broke my leg, and for some reason the doctors put me in a crawling cast instead of a walking cast, so I couldn't even like, like hobble. I just, my leg was like this. Um, and so I, that meant for me, I wasn't going to get to be in the wedding. Uh, that meant no awesome, sweet white tucks with tails that I was looking forward to. Um, It meant no limo ride, which I was looking forward to, and it meant no glory as I walked down the aisle and people looked and said, oh, he's so adorable. And so guess who it went to? My big brother, Ryan. Mmm, my big brother, Ryan. Um, It went to him, and he got to be the uh, ring bearer in my aunt and uncle's wedding. That is him on the left, and uh, in that sweet, awesome white tux. Um, that I wanted to wear so badly, and uh, this was me, sweet little me, in my uh, adorable, at least I got a cool suit out of it that had like a little Winnie the Pooh on it, um, but uh, it was, I'm not bitter about it, right? 31 years later, not at all. <laughs> um, uh, I still kind of bring this up to my mom every so often. I'm like, remember when my brother got to do this? I'm like, you could have strolled me down. I mean, I'd have been fine. I'd have still carried the pillow. Um, but, you know, life is like that, right? We all have these unfairness, unfair things that happen to us, injustices that happen to us. Um, students, you probably know this. Um, you've probably had a partner uh, in a project who doesn't do any of the work, but yet still gets the credit, still gets the same grade as you. Um, adults in here, you probably have had a coworker who doesn't quite know what they're doing, but they always seem to get the credit that you should get, or they make a mistake and you get blamed for it. Um, maybe a family member betrays you for no reason, maybe a loss of a job because the company downsizes, Um, maybe an injury for no fault of your own. Life is kind of full of these um, unpredictable things that happen, these injustices, these unfair things that happen. So we're going to do a kind of a quick poll so um, that our students can recognize that unfair things happen to adults as well. Because sometimes I think as young people, they think, I know my kids are like this, that only unfair things happen to them. All right, so adults in this room, everybody in this room, if you've ever had something unfair happen to you, raise your hand. Right? Okay, look around. Um, how about this? Have you ever uh, taken the blame for something someone else did wrong? Right? Okay. How about this? Have you ever lost a job? a position, or something important to you 
because somebody else decided on it, right? Yeah, we've all done that. Now, how many of you have ever been stripped of your coat, thrown in a pit, only to be sold by your brothers? Anybody? Anybody? It's probably a middle school or something like me. Um, no, no, good. I'm glad nobody has done that. That would be, you'd probably be in jail. Um, but today we're going to talk about Joseph and his story and how um, some injustices and some unfair things happen to Joseph in his story. And what does he, how does he respond in, to it? Um, Joseph lived his life in this kind of tension of contrasting ideas, right? Um, he was both loved, but he was also hated. He was favored, but he was also abused. He was tempted, but also trusted. He was exhausted exalted but also degraded. And so Joseph lives his life. His story is in the tension of these like completely opposite things that happen. And we would look at Joseph's story and we would often think, well, that's just not fair. You know, we would look at it and say, that's not fair at all what happens to Joseph. And because we want things to be fair in our life. I I don't know where that concept comes from as we grow up, but my kids are doing that right now. If Colin gets something that Maddox wants, uh, she's like, that's unfair. And vice versa, we spent, you know, a couple weeks at, or a couple weeks ago at Disney World, um, and, you know, everything that Colin got, Maddox was like, that's unfair, and I'm, like, I'm sorry, he's a boy, I mean, he, it's different, this is different for him. Uh, you already spent all your money, Maddox, I'm sorry, you can't have another toy. Um, and that's kind of the things we do as children, we grow up with this idea that things are supposed to be fair, and we want things to be fair. Uh, sports fans, we know, watching our sports teams, when the referee makes a bad call or misses a call, ah, oh, it's not fair. They're cheating, right? Because we want everything to be fair. Uh, But that's just not real life. We all experience things time and time again that are unfair to us and for us. And as Jesus people, a truth I think we really need to understand is that fairness was never really promised by God. Fairness is not one of the many promises in Scripture that God gives us. He never says, hey guys, life's going to be totally fair for you. If one thing goes bad, another good thing will happen. It's not a fairness thing. God's not worried about fairness for us. Um, you know, quite the, uh, the, the, the opposite of that. Jesus even tells us that we will have troubles in this life. We will have hard times. It will be difficult, but to take heart because he has overcome this world. So fairness is not something that was promised by God and something for us. And it's something that I think if we constantly are seeking for things to be fair in our life, we're constantly going to be exhausted and frustrated by that when we want things to always work out fair for us. Now, as Jesus people, as Christians, we want to make sure that uh, those who are the the less than, the weak, the the poor, the broken, that things are fair for them. Our job as Christians are not to look out for our personal fairness, but to look out for the fairness of others. That is part of our calling, but not for fairness for ourselves. So we get to Joseph, and As we look at Joseph's story, I think a lot of us, because we know the end of the story, most of us in this room probably know the end of Joseph's stories, how it all ends with his brothers. We forget the beauty of what happens throughout the story. Because we're people that want fairness, we seek fairness. So in our minds, you know, as we go through Joseph's story, we get to the end and we're like, well, yeah, it all worked out for him. Great, good job, Joseph. But in the midst of his story, it's hard. And if we were to read this story for the first time, look at it with fresh eyes, we would want revenge and we would want justice for Joseph. Because truthfully, we are people who are more often eye for eye people than we are turn the other cheek people, right? We are more often eye for eye people than we are turn the other cheek kind of people. 
And so when we get to Joseph's story, we look at it and we know the ending and we know it all works out. But I want to imagine this morning as we kind of go through his story quickly um, that you're maybe a first century Gentile. You've heard about this group of Christians or Jesus followers, followers of the way. And you're like, man, that's, that's crazy. They're selling all their stuff. They're like helping the people that nobody likes. I'd love to know more about that. So you go to a house and you sit down with them. You're like, tell me about this Jesus guy and tell me how all this started. And they're like, okay, we're going to start at the beginning because it all matters. The beginning matters to the end. And so they start telling you the story of God and his people. And they start at creation. They go through Noah. They go through Abraham. They go through Isaac. They go through Jacob. And with crazy turns and twists along the way, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But it's so good. I can't wait to see what happens next. And so they get to the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 this morning, if you'd like to follow along as I kind of jump through the story of Joseph. It says, verse 2, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. His father's, uh, with the, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, at the beginning of Joseph's life, he was a little immature, a little foolish, um, a little bit of a tattletale, a snitch, if you will. Um, you, he's out at the at work in the fields with his brothers, uh, watching what they do, and he runs home to daddy. Hey, catch, guess what Gad did? And they're like, you know, telling stories, and that doesn't work well for for, for what his brothers think of him. But now, Scripture tells us this, Start verse, continuing verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Now, that's the coat of many colors. We hear about Joseph in the coat of many colors. It was a coat that went all the way down to his wrists and a coat that went down to his ankles. It was not a working man's coat. It was a, a coat of favor, a coat of princely status. And Joseph, Jacob loved Joseph so much that he gives him this coat. And part of the reason why uh, Jacob loves Joseph so much is because Jake, Joseph is the son of Rachel, which is Rachel is his true love. Now, if you go back a few chapters and you hear the story of Jacob getting married, um, you know that Jacob was fooled. Uh, he wanted to marry Rachel, and he asked Rachel's dad, may I have her as my wife? May we get married? And the dad's like, well, sure, work seven years for me. And he's like, okay, she's worth it. I'll do it. Uh, seven years. And so he does that. He works those seven years. And on, on their ancient culture, weddings are weird. So like, you, not like our wedding. So um, you read about it. I'm not going to tell you all the details. But on their wedding night, he finds out that it's not Rachel. It's Leah, her older sister that he has been wedded to. And he goes to the dad and is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I wanted Rachel, not Leah. And the dad's like, sorry, because in our culture, you marry off the first daughter before the second daughter. But if you want Rachel, you can work another seven years and I'll let you marry her as well. And Jacob loves her so much, he works another seven years so that he may marry her as well. And that's very important because as they begin to have children, Rachel has a hard time having children. And eventually, God blesses her with children and that first child's name is Joseph. And so Jacob's love of his life has had a child and her name is Joseph. And Joseph is so important to Jacob. So he has this coat and he gives him this coat. And basically it means that Joseph doesn't have to work in the fields anymore because this is a fancy coat. And he is now 
uh, be given, given a status of, uh, of, of favor, and he no longer has to go out into the fields and work. And so Joseph, you know, has already bothered his brothers, annoyed his brothers. Um, and, and when you've annoyed your brothers enough, the next thing you want to do is tell them about the awesome dreams that you've had about them. Um, so in verse 7, says this. It says, um, he says, hey brothers, I've had this dream. Come listen to it. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brother's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What now? Do you think that we're going to bow down to you, our little brother that we don't like, who's a tattle tail and a snitch. Mm, that's not going to happen. And, and Joseph, in all of his great foolishness and immaturity, has another dream. He's like, hey, brothers, guess what? I've got another dream. Listen to this. And he tells them this. Uh, verse 9, he says, listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And Jacob hears about this dream and is like, so wait a minute. You're saying all of us are going to bow down to you? And... Um, your brothers are going to bow down, your mom, your dad, everybody, we're all going to bow down. And Joseph's like, yep, sure enough. And they're like, hmm, the brothers did not take very kindly to this. Jo Jacob, because he loves Joseph, kind of, you know, like, ah, you know, whatever, um, puts it out of his mind. But the brothers hated him. Verse 4 would t tells us that, that they could not speak a kind word to him. Now that's going to come back. I want you to remember that the brothers could not speak a kind word to him because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But eventually what happens, uh, again, he's in a place of favor so he doesn't have to go work the fields. So the brothers go out and work the fields. One day Jacob says, hey, go check on your brothers. He goes and checks on his brothers. They're not where they're supposed to be. So he goes to another area. That's where they're at. As he's coming down the road, the brothers say, hey, look, there's the dreamer. They couldn't even call him by his name. But hey, look, there's the dreamer. So they plot to kill him. They say, well, let's kill him. He get him get, just get rid of him. It, it, it's better for us if we could just kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, is like, guys, let's not kill him. You can beat him up, rough him up a little bit, but we're not going to kill him. We don't need his blood on our hands. And so they listen to Reuben, the oldest brother. Um, they, when Joseph shows up, they beat him up. They take his coat. They throw him in a well. Uh, scripture tells us that as he's, laying, he's in the well and screaming and yelling for them, they sit down and have lunch because they just don't care that he's suffering. So they sit down, have lunch. Reuben goes off wherever Reuben goes. We don't know. But while he's gone, merchants come along the way, and they say, well, let's just sell him. We'll make a little money, and we'll tell Dad that he was murdered by an animal, and we'll you know, give him the coat and put some blood on it. So that's what they do. They, they put some blood on a coat. They take it back to Jacob after they've sold him into slavery. And so... As the story progresses, Joseph ends up being sold by those merchants to Egypt, and he's sold to Potiphar. And he's probably not had a great time along the way um, as he journeys. Um, he's probably been branded on, the, on his arm or on a, a place on his body so that he is now marked as property. Um, probably had to be pulled and dragged and walked the long distance while others rode in stables or on horses or camelback or whatever they ride, you know, back then, who knows, donkey, whatever. But he ends up in Potiphar's house. And while in Potiphar's house, Potiphar notices there's something different about Joseph. So jump over with me to chapter 39. 
says this, we'll start in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And I think there's another thing we need to know, that in our pain, God is doing something. And sometimes in our pain and in the unfairness we're facing and the injustice we face, we don't know what's going on, but we have to believe that God is doing something and act that way. And Joseph is acting in a way faithful to God. He has no idea what's going to happen next, but he knows that God is doing something, so he remains faithful to God. Now, many of us have heard this story. Um, Joseph spends about 11 years in Potiphar's house. All that time, Potiphar's wife is constantly pressing him, hey, sleep with me. Why don't you come, you know, come while my husband's gone and we'll go to the bedroom and we'll do things that we're not supposed to do. For 11 years, she presses him and presses him and presses him because Joseph is, Scripture tells us he's handsome. He's good looking. And she wants Joseph. And so eventually it comes to a head. She sends her attendants away. Joseph shows up at work one morning. And while he walks in, it's probably weird. Nobody else is around. He's probably a little creeped out by the situation. But then Potiphar's wife is like, hey, Joseph, what's up? Nobody's here. Here's a perfect time, perfect opportunity. And Joseph responds, no, I'm not going to do this. I cannot do this. I will not sin against God. This is not right. So she grabs Joseph and he runs away and as he runs away, his outer garment, his coat comes off and it's in her hand and she takes it to her husband and says, that Hebrew servant that you have, like she doesn't even call him by his name, that Hebrew servant that you have tried to take me, tried to sleep with me. You need to do something about it, Potiphar, as she hands him his coat. Now, if I'm Joseph, I would never wear a coat again. Okay, I'm just to be honest. Somebody gives me a coat for a birthday present later, be like, nope, I'm done. I will freeze to death before I put another jacket on. Two jackets, enough, right? But she goes to Potiphar, Potiphar, you need to do something about this. He tried to do something he's not supposed to with me. Now, Potiphar, he's a slave, so Potiphar doesn't hear his defense. He doesn't get a chance to defend himself. And Potiphar in this moment is actually pretty merciful to Joseph because that would have been really, you know, Potiphar is like the chief of police, head of security. He had the opportunity. He probably could have had Joseph killed on the spot. But he gives Joseph a little bit of mercy and just puts him in prison for the rest of his life. So that's where we find Joseph next. He's in prison. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 40, that's where he meets the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer and the baker, uh, probably scholars think that they are put in jail because they've the Pharaoh believes there's a plot to kill him and has narrowed it down to these two men, the cupbearer and the baker. And so they're in jail. They have some dreams. They go to Joseph. Hey, can you help me with these dreams? Well, Joseph is actually like, you know, there's, what's wrong with you? I see there's something wrong with you. You know, Joseph rises to prominence even in prison. He becomes second in command to the warden there. Even, um, it, it's just crazy. Joseph is uh, just an awesome guy who, you know, just continues to to, to, to be the example of integrity that the, the Lord wants. And so he interprets these dreams for them. Uh, one of them is about uh, uh, branches and, uh, and cups and vines. You can read all this. I'm going to skip over this a little bit. And the other one is about bread and baskets. 
And Joseph interprets those for them and says, you know, cupbearer, what's going to happen in three days? You're going to be brought out of prison and you're going to be placed back into your role as cupbearer. Good for you. And he's like, yeah. And the baker's like, oh, he got a favorable interpretation. What about me? What about me? What about me? And Joseph says, well, your dream, what's going to happen in three days? You're going to be brought out of prison and, and you're going to eventually be hanged by the Pharaoh and the birds will eat your flesh. If you're the baker, you're like, okay, that's not cool. Um, <laughs> could you interpret that any other way, please? Um, well, sure enough, what happens three days later, the cupbearer and the baker both brought out of prison. Um, and the Pharaoh, I guess, has narrowed it down that it's not the cupbearer, but it's the baker who has a plot to kill him. Hangs him, and sure enough, the birds eat away at his flesh. And in this moment, you would think that the cupbearer would be like, you know, this guy Joseph, help me out with these dreams. And Pharaoh, why don't you, you know, rescue him? But he doesn't. So for two years, Joseph remains in prison, prison as the, as the cupbearer is restored back to his position. And so for two years, he remains in prison. prison. And so right now, just to time-wise, it's been um, 13 years, okay? 13 years since Joseph was in that pit and taken out. And finally, the Pharaoh has some bad dreams himself. He doesn't know what to do about them. He has all of his magicians, all of his wise men come in. He's not sure what to do. And the cupbearer finally remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy, Joseph. He might be able to help. So he tells Pharaoh about him. Pharaoh gets Joseph out of prison. He comes. And Pharaoh's like, here, I've had these dreams. And one of them, there were seven healthy, strong cows. And then seven weak, feeble cows came and devoured those seven healthy cows. And I woke up. But then I went back to sleep. And then when I was asleep, there were seven uh, stalks of grain, healthy and vibrant. And then there were seven frail, broken, ugly stalks of grain. And they devoured the seven healthy ones. And then I woke up. I don't know what to do about these dreams. Joseph, can you help? Joseph says, no, I can't, but the Lord can. And so he tells Pharaoh what they're about. He says, for seven years, Egypt is going to be in a time of great abundance. Great, great abundance. But after those seven years, the world will be in seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, if you're a smart man, you would appoint someone wise to look over that and take care of it so that in those seven years of abundance, we would build up our stock so that you can handle things during the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, great. I think I have a wise man right in front of me who can handle that. So he hires Joseph on the spot. And Joseph has now risen to prominence again as basically what we would consider the, the prime minister of uh, of Egypt. And, and I think this is the second point. Again, it's taken 13 years to get to this point. And I think we need to understand that the rewards of our faithfulness can take a long, long time, right? In the midst of our current pains, in the midst of our current un unfairness, in the midst of our current injustices, God is at work and doing something. But sometimes it can take a long time for the rewards of our faithfulness to become present to us. So seven years of famine happen, and it takes another seven years before the big showdown. Again, if you're a first-time listener, this next part of the story you're, you're just so excited about because after seven years, the world is in famine, and Joseph's brothers and family need food. And so they get ready to go to Egypt. And as they go to Egypt, they come before Joseph, and Joseph recognizes them. 
And in, in our minds, if we're hearing this for the first time, we're like, yep, here it goes. Joseph is going to mm, give him the hammer, throw them all in prison, kill him. Who knows? He's going to take back. He's going to get his revenge, retribution. Yes, this is the moment. And now Joseph, you know, plays a little bit with them. He tells them, you know, as they tell their story, he's like, do you have a brother, a younger brother? And they're like, yeah. He's like, well, where is he at? He's not with us. He's back home with our dad. And Joseph ends up putting his brothers in prison um, for a couple days as they sweat it out. And he's like, hey, go home, get the youngest brother, come back, and I'll give you everything you need. And they're like, okay. But they leave Simeon, which is an interesting thing. They're like, yeah, we'll, leave, we'll leave one of the brothers. So they leave one of the brothers, and they go back home. And when they get back home, and they tell their dad, hey, you know, we have to go back, and we have to bring Benjamin. And Jacob is like, no, you are not going to bring Benjamin. Because Benjamin, one thing you need to know about Benjamin, Benjamin is the other son of Rachel. So most likely, now that Joseph was gone, Benjamin had been moved to a, a status of favor as the other son from his most beloved wife. And he's like, it's not going to happen. You're not taking Benjamin with you back to Egypt. They're like, but Simeon's back there. We need to go back for him. He's like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to lose another son of Rachel. Eventually, they ran out of food again, and they need to go back for food. And they say, Dad, we've got to go back. And we've got to take Benjamin. We can't show up in front of this prime minister without Benjamin. He'll have our heads. And Jacob's like, no, you're not, you're not going to do it. And what's interesting in this story, if you read it, is Judah steps in. And if you know who Judah is, Judah is like the great, 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 maybe more greats, grandpa of Jesus. And he steps in and says, you know, if anything happens to Benjamin, it'll be on me. And Jacob is reluctant, but Benjamin goes back. And as Benjamin is coming back, Joseph sees them, and he throws a huge party and gives Benjamin all the food more food. And after that, he's like, hey, go back home uh, to your families and take Simeon with you. But he, he plays a little game with him and he puts his own cup in one of the bags. And then they leave off. And in the morning, he sends a servant and he says, go, somebody's stolen my cup. But when you get there, tell them they have to come back because somebody's stolen my cup. And so he goes out, the servant goes out, he stops the brothers and they're like, there's a cup stolen. You stole the prime minister's cup. Um, this is not good for you guys. And they're like, no, 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 nobody has done. And it's funny if you read this, when you read this, they're like, nobody has stolen the cup. And if anybody here has stolen a cup, they need to deserve to die. And the rest of us will become slaves. And the servant's like, okay, open your bags. So they start going through the bags. And sure enough, guess who's got the cup? Benjamin. They're probably like, oh, no. Of all the brothers, the one that our dad does not want to lose, it's Benjamin. And, and, and they're like, and we said you could kill him. This is not good. So they all go back to Egypt. And they all go back before Joseph. And again, in this moment, uh, Judah defends Benjamin. There's a, there's a beautiful moment there where, jo, where Judah begins to talk about the story of their dad and how it broke his heart to lose one son. He cannot lose this other son. And he begins to talk about that. And, he, and, and it's just overwhelming in Joseph's life. And it's just building up, it's building up, it's building up. And finally, we get to chapter 45. Joseph reveals himself. Starting in verse 1. Uh, we're going to go, let's see, we got time. Let's see, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. They were terrified. They are like, what, you're Joseph? Because we're, I, 
point of note, he had been talking through a translator the whole time. That's important. He hasn't just been talking Hebrew to them. He didn't want to let the translator. Okay, good. Um, So he reveals himself. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph and the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not distress and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Man, in all the moments, Joseph could have had revenge and could have killed them, could have done all the things that we naturally wouldn't want to do. Again, we're eye for eye people more than we are turn the cheek kind of people. And in this moment, the beauty of it is Joseph reveals himself and says, I am your brother. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. Because Joseph knows one truth. He says the only thing that he knows this truth, that the only thing we can control is our reaction. He could not control the actions of his brothers. He could not control the actions of Potiphar's wife. He could not control the forgetfulness of the cupbearer. The only thing he could control in all of his unfairness is his own reaction. And he reacts with grace. He reacts with grace. Joseph's reaction is grace. He offers grace to his brothers. What his brothers did to destroy their family caused great pain. Joseph heals through the act of grace. I believe that offering grace heals the wounds of our injustices. Offering grace heals the wounds of our injustices. Now, Joseph does not diminish what they did. He mentions it. He said, you guys did this to me. It hurt. He does not diminish the pain that is real in his life, but what he offers instead is not more pain, but grace. He offers great grace. So the story continues. They go home. They bring back all their family. Jacob comes, and Joseph is with his dad again. And it's a beautiful moment. He introduces his children to Jacob. It's a beautiful moment. Jacob eventually reaches his deathbed and passes away. And at this moment, the story gets interesting again because now that Jacob is out of the picture, the brothers begin to worry. They're afraid that the only thing that was protecting them was dad. Now, dad's dead. What happens next? So we're going to jump to uh, chapter uh, 50. We're going to jump a couple chapters. Guys, I'm telling you, read this stuff. It's awesome. Uh, I wish I could, you know, talk forever, um, but I can't. I know um, we can't do that today, but uh, we're going to jump to chapter 50 and verse 15. And I want you to listen to what happens because it's beautiful. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongdoings we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father, who knows if they made this up? They may have made this up, uh, you know, to get out of it. Who knows? But uh, say, so they went to jo- sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, to him, Joseph wept. He was brokenhearted over the way his brothers were so worried. And so they come, verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's something we have to understand getting back at people and, and, and getting our own justice and making things fair for ourselves and our injustices, that's not our place. And Joseph recognizes that. I, am I in the place of God? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And this is, I love this. And he reassured them and he spoke, he spoke kindly to them. His whole life, they have spoke harshly. Scripture tells us that. Scripture, the writer of, of Genesis tells us, he, he, he wraps it up so beautifully here. Because at the beginning of Joseph's story, he lets you know, the brothers spoke harshly to him. That's all they could do is speak harshly to him. This moment, Joseph offers grace and speaks kindly to them. It's so beautiful. Because this is the truth, another truth we need to understand, that sometimes grace needs to be offered over and over and over again in our lives. The people who hurt us, we need to offer them grace. When they hurt us again, we offer grace over and over and over and over again. Because grace and offering it is the reaction of God's people. So how does this work for us? What does this mean for us? We can learn so much about Joseph's story, his integrity, his faithfulness, his patience, his endurance, but his grace. And so uh, my lesson, I, I've got a minute or two um, that I'm going to finish this. Uh, a youth ministry lesson would not be good without a, a visual illustration. So I'm going to hand you a visual illustration now, um, what I think this means for us, some hermeneutics in my own life for this story. Um, I've got two pieces of rope here. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to string these across. Hopefully they'll stay where I want them to be um, at. Um, what I want this white rope to represent, very simply, is this is the story of God. Okay. Now this is a very big rope in life. Imagine that this is a very, very real big rope. This is stretching out for all the way there to all the way there, on and 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 on. Um, but we're just looking at a very small snapshot of it that is going to parallel what this rope will represent, and this is our life. So our life, God wants our life to go along with His life and His story and match and run along and, and parallel with it and our life work um, in conjunction with his story and his life. And what happens for us as we go through life, we have moments, we have these pinnacle moments in our life, um, big things that happen, you know, obviously you're born, that's a big one, hopefully. Um, big things happen. Um, eventually, you know, uh, these moments in life, you're, you're, you know, you graduate high school, I don't know. Um, but then there's other moments that happen in life that are hurtful. Um, someone betrays you. Someone hurts you. Someone sells you into slavery and, you know, steals your coat. That's not cool. Um, someone accuses you of something you haven't done. These big things begin to pile up. And this is what happens. In the good things and in the bad things, we have the option to follow the story or not. And how we react. If it's a good thing, we can react poorly in good things. Sometimes good things happen to us and we're like, bless the Lord. But then we take that good thing and we mess it up with our pride. We're selfish. So good things can take us off the story of God and remove us from the story of God and the plan that God has for us. So it's not always bad things. It's sometimes good things. 
that we take and we don't react well to them. And sometimes bad things happen to us and we can get angry about them and we can seek our own justice. See, Joseph could have very easily gone off the plan of God and God would have had to readjust and make adjustments. If Joseph would have got sold into slavery and be like, I'm done, I'm out. I'm going to be the worst employee, not an employee, worst slave ever till someone just kills me. He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose to react in grace. When his brothers come along, he could have, again, had them arrested, thrown in prison, killed. But he doesn't choose that. He chooses grace. So in our life and in our story, we have the opportunity to follow along the story in our reactions, whether good, whether bad, or we have the choice to fall away. And it is my belief that whether it's good things or bad things that happen to us, the only choice that we have is to react the way that God would want us to. And one of the key reactions we have is offering grace. Offering something that the rest of the world doesn't want to offer. The rest of the world, again, we are eye-for-eye people, and God is calling us to be turn-the-other-cheek people. So in order for our story to match up with God's, we react with grace. And why do we react with grace? Not because... It's easy, because sometimes it's so hard. But we react with grace because it is grace that God has offered us through Jesus Christ, His Son. As we close this morning, I want to leave you with this verse, Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us be people who live in grace and extend and offer grace in the good times, but so importantly in the bad times. May we be people who offer grace over and over again. May we be people who know that life is unfair, And that is okay. Our response will not be anger or justice, but grace. May we be people who seek to offer grace in everything we do because Jesus first offered grace to us. This morning, if you want to be a part of that grace, if you want to live in the grace of the Lord and through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and put on Him in the waters of baptism, we would love for that this morning for you. If you don't know what any of that means and you were curious and want to talk about it, we'd love to begin that conversation, what it looks like to be a Jesus person and to live in Him, live through His grace and baptism and and there on out. We would begin that conversation if we need to this morning. Maybe you're one of these people and you're, you're like me sometimes and you just need to offer grace to people. And in your hardships, you have not done that. You've been more eye for an eye than you have turned the other cheek. And this morning, you need to repent of that and be ready to offer grace in your life. Whatever it is, we don't know what it is this morning. We hope to know. That's what being a church family is about, that we can share each other's burdens and rejoice with each other. We'll have some elders that will come up here, and if you're comfortable, you can come up here and they can pray with you. Or if you'd love to go to the back, we'll have some elders in the back um, that you can pray with as well. And we have a prayer room in this corner if, it's, if you feel like it's very private and you just want to speak privately with one of our elders. They would love just to do that with you this morning. But whatever it is, be people of grace. The story of Joseph leaves us knowing 
that our reaction should be offering grace in all things. Let's stand together as we sing.